The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to episode number 26 of Talking Mopars. This week's show is going to be a little bit different because I'm not going to have a project car of the week, but I am going to take five cars from this past week's postings on the Mopar Hunter Facebook page, and we're going to analyze those five ads. And, you know, maybe we'll pick a car that would be the best deal. Who knows? We're just flying by the seat of our pants here, okay? We also have two listener stories, and what we're going to do is we're going to throw high-performance parts in between those stories. So let's uh, switch things up a little bit. Let's just fly by the seat of our pants today. I think it'll be fun. I already have the ads set aside, and we're going to have a good time as usual. So without further ado, if you are a Mopar enthusiast, then you are in the right place. Don't go anywhere. You're tuned into the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth. And I am your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter, and this is Talking Mopars. You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. What's up, Mopar enthusiasts? We are back again for another fun-filled episode of Talking Mopars, and I've got some good news. My Project Dart is finally getting an engine. Unfortunately, it's not the 451 Stroker that I had hoped for, because that engine is still at the machine shop dead in the water for monetary reasons. But I'm so anxious to get behind the wheel of this Dart that I've actually decided to hold off on the big block swap for now. I have most of the small block parts still, with the exception of the engine and transmission, so... I actually had a buddy reach out to me about the 71 Charger I was looking at, saying that he had a 318 and a 904 that he was just looking to give away. So he generously donated that engine and transmission to the new cause. And the new cause is to get my dart on the road before I go out acquiring any other projects. I gotta get the ones I have on the road. With that being said, I've got a project right now with this little 318, and I'm just trying to dress it up a little bit and give it a little bit more go. Nothing crazy. I just want to make it a little bit funner, okay? The engine project that I have now is called Project Free 18 because it is a 318 and it was free. So that's what I'm up to. I'm just gathering parts, trying to find good deals. And it's funny because I posted this cheesy ad. It was a wanted poster and it said basically wanted small block Mopar parts, you know, cheap is good and free is great. And there was one guy who was like, oh, you better get a small block Chevy. Nothing in the Mopar world is cheap. But here's the thing. He's wrong, because I've gotten plenty of cool stuff for free or next to free or really cheap, just based on the fact that I'm a nice guy. And I guess I've been fortunate that I've ran into such cool people in the Mopar world. And unfortunately for that guy, apparently he's run into a bunch of jerks that are just out for money, which, you know, there are a lot of people like that in the Mopar community, unfortunately. But, you know, thankfully I haven't run into any of them. I've ran into some really cool people and they've all given me some really good deals. So I'm not complaining on that front, and I'm still getting the deals. I just acquired an intake and a carb, and I've got some really cool vintage valve covers, and I'm just having fun with this car now. I've got everything I need to throw together and have a ratty little small block dart, and that's all I want. The shiniest parts on this dart are going to be the wheels and tires, because I have brand new BFGTAs and Craiger SSs for it. So 
you know, it is what it is. I'm going to have fun with it, and hopefully uh, you guys will be along for the ride. I'm going to try to get some of that content up on YouTube here sooner rather than later, so you guys can follow along on a little bit more of a visual level. So that's what I'm up to. Now, let's get this show on the road. Like I said in the introduction, folks, we've got two listener stories, and I'm going to sandwich our segment called High Performance Parts in between both stories just to switch things up. So our first listener story comes from Shane Taylor. Here is Shane's story. Hey, Chris, my dad has always had cool cars and trucks. For much of my life, he's made a living off of hunting down deals and then flipping them. I'm now in my late 20s, own a house, and am financially stable. As a congratulations, or as my dad says, early inheritance, He said I could have any one of my choosing. I had the choice between a fully restored 1979 Camaro RS with a pretty radical 383 stroker, a fully restored purple 1956 Plymouth Savoy, or a dusty old red and black 1955 Plymouth Belvedere that didn't run and was missing the rear window, which was apparently traded for a brick that sat in the back seat. I took the 56 Savoy because it was in the best condition and would need the least amount of work. It was perfect, because I don't know a ton about working on cars, but I love detailing. Although this was probably the most valuable car, it had a few drawbacks. The car was restored in the 90s and was overdue for another restoration in the near future. The interior was badly stained and fading, the paint was getting rust bubbles, and there was a lot of custom work done that was very obviously trendy a couple decades ago, but not anymore. The worst part, though? It had a 350 small block Chevy. Don't get me wrong, my family was GM all the way unless there was a Mopar deal to be found. My dad even warned me that when I took it, I couldn't hang out with the Mopar guys or else I'd be chastised. He said to park by the 50s Chevrolets at shows and don't talk about the car more than need be. After all, the car had no signs of make other than the aluminum Plymouth plate under the door when open, so most people thought it was a chopped 57 Chevy. Once I got it, I started doing research on the forward-look Mopars, and I fell in love. The more I looked at them, the more disappointed I became with my 56 mashup with the Chevy engine Ford rear-end 1998 Ford Escort Royal Plum paint, which looked great, but I just can't stand Fords, and tacky customizations. I found myself eyeing the faded, beaten-up old Belvedere that my dad had sitting in his shop. It had one owner on the title and had gone to his surviving kin. It was easily 90% original, so I started drooling after I'd educated myself on these classics. After a week of having the purple Plymouth, I called dad and told him I made a mistake. I detailed the Savoy and sent it back to him, and he happily gave me the busted-up 55. After all, he had been offered up to $10,000 for it and only paid $1,400 for the non-running Belvedere. Although it wasn't the smart financial decision, it was the right thing to do, and I couldn't be happier. We trailered it to a local shop that specializes in classic Mopars to have the clutch rebuilt, as well as some brake work done. Once I got a new 6-volt battery hooked up, it started and ran great, save for some smoke. Every light on the car worked perfectly, and the more I looked around through the scattered parts in the interior and trunk, the more original parts I found for it. Now that it runs and drives, I'm learning and working on it. Finding parts for these is a very expensive scavenger hunt, but it's fun to work on such a neat piece of history. Even though I live two hours from my dad, it's brought us closer together because I'm always sending him pictures of things I've probably messed up and calling him for help. I look forward to restoring this beauty over time the right way and going to car shows with him, even if we can't park next to each other. Hey Shane, thanks for sending in your story. I've been wanting to do some forward look content and your story kind of inspired me to get uh, looking into what I want to cover and how I want to go about doing it. I actually have a guest lined up that is pretty deep in the forward look community, but I haven't really scheduled him in yet. So I got to get a hold of him and figure out when we can get him on the show. Because like I said, and like I've been saying, this show is for all Mopar enthusiasts. That includes the forward look, the modern era, everything in between. And I'm going to stick to my word. We will cover the antique stuff, like the really, really old stuff. We're going to cover the forward look. We're going to cover it all, or at least we're going to give it our best shot. So look forward to that. Very cool story. 
I'm glad that you chose at least a Mopar over the Chevy. <laughs> that makes you a lot cooler in my book. And let me just say this. I'm a car enthusiast first and foremost, but I am a Mopar guy. So I respect all cool cars, but there's just something about Mopars that gets me going. So when I take shots at Ford and Chevy guys, you know, nothing personal. It's all in good fun, okay? Now back to Shane's story. It's good to hear that you're getting into Mopars and cars in general. It's something fun to learn, and you sound like you're really motivated to get your project going, so that's really cool. And hey, a 55 Belvedere is pretty cool in my book, so keep me posted on your project, buddy. Thanks for sending in your story. I really want to see pictures of this car and see how far you come along. Maybe you can call in and give me some tips to pass along to people, because I get people asking me about forward-look cars and where to find parts and all this, and a lot of the stuff, you know, I try my best, but... I don't own a forward-look car, so I'm not too deep in that world. And I know there's people out there that own those cars and start finding really good resources and stuff. So if anybody out there, actually, not just Shane, knows any good places to go for forward-look stuff, let me know. If you know someone that's really deep in the forward-look niche, that's one aspect of Mopar history that I admittedly don't know very much about. But I love those cars. I think they're really cool. And I'll take, one, I'll take anything in the forward-look era over a 57 Chevy any day. But that's me. And that's not to say that 57 Chevys aren't cool, but hey, forward-look Mopars are cooler. Prove me wrong. <laughs> um, Shane, once again, thank you for sending in your story. All right, folks, like I told you earlier in the show, we are switching things up. We're throwing high-performance parts in the middle of the two listener stories. So this week's high-performance part is interesting to say the least. It's actually a cartoon. Now, I don't know how familiar you guys are with King of the Hill, but one of the main characters, Boomhauer, a good friend and neighbor of Hank Hill, is apparently a Mopar guy because his red muscle car has what looks to be a six-pack hood. The front end looks to be a 69 Coronet or Super B, and the rear end, now here's where things get weird, is actually more reminiscent of a 68. Now, are there any badgings on this car or anything? No, but it does have the bumblebee stripe, so I'm going to go ahead and assume Mopar right away. Now, I don't know if the creator of the show, who also, side note, created Beavis and Butthead, is a Mopar guy, or if that's just coincidence, maybe he looked up, maybe he Googled muscle car and saw, you know, a couple of Mopars on there, because you know that they'd be at the top of the list. Um, maybe he just, you know, reference points, and that's why there's a mashup of a 68 and 69 coronet or super b so you know that's that that's the high performance part for this week boomhauer's hybrid 68 69 coronet or super b that was high performance parts now back to listener stories our second listener story was sent in by mark here is mark's story Hey Chris, just started listening to the podcast about two weeks ago and have to say it's one of my favorite car podcasts out there. I've been hearing a few stories about the Mopars that got away, so I thought I would tell you about how I was the one on the opposite end doing the getaway. This is the story of how I bought my first Mopar, a 2006 Dodge Charger Daytona, and started my love of Mopars, while also giving my Chevy dad a literal heart attack. It was two years ago late summer and I was on the hunt for a new car. My cheap junkie beater of a Saturn SC1 was on its last legs. So on my hunt, I came across an ad online about a 2006 yellow charger for sale at a dealership. It had no photos, no description, and no price, so I dismissed it. Well, a week went by, and my dad, who was also looking for me, jokingly pointed out a yellow charger ad. 
Being a Chevy guy, I didn't read much about it and joked about the color. To be honest, wasn't super interested in a bright yellow car. But I went over and took a look. It was the same ad I had looked at a week ago, but they had added a description to it. It grabbed my attention with one word, Daytona. I demanded that we take a look at it, so that Sunday, the next day, we drove out to look. I fell in love at first sight. It was a top banana yellow Dodge Charger with the black decals across the hood and rear fender, the black spoiler, and the 5.7 Hemi. It looked just like all the sales pictures. I wanted that car. So late that week, me and my parents went to buy it. We arrived at the dealership, and to my concern, it was pulled in front of the dealership doors. I was worried it was sold, so we went in to check. Sure enough, the dealer told us a very interested buyer was coming to look at it the next day, and he was almost sure of the sale. Disappointed, we started to leave, but the manager stopped us just as we were about to leave and said I could test drive it since the other person didn't put any money down. Well, a short test drive later only made me want it more. Not wanting to miss my chance on this car, I immediately put an offer of 9500 for the car, which, much to my salesman's disapproval, the manager accepted. After financing it myself, I drove off in my new Daytona. I felt a little bad about buying it out from under another buyer, but the burnout leaving the dealership made me forget fairly quickly. Well, about two months after buying the car, my father had a heart attack. Thankfully, he's okay, but my family and I am sure that the Chrysler sitting in my Chevy dad's garage is what almost did him in. He's started to come around to Mopar since then and has started to like the car. My Daytona is still my baby and I drive it constantly and store her during the harsh winter of Wisconsin. She has some rust starting in the rear corner panels, but other than that, she's solid. I hope to get that sorted out soon. Anyways, thanks for listening to my story, Mark. Hey Mark, thanks for sending in your story. Like I've said in the past... This show does not discriminate when it comes to Mopar enthusiasts. Not only do I enjoy the classic Mopars, but I also enjoy the modern ones. I thought it was entertaining to hear you tell the story from the other side of the coin where you weren't the one who lost out on a car. You were actually the one who contributed to somebody else's loss, which, you know, you didn't hurt my feelings. But guys, that's what happens when you don't put money down on a car. What do you expect the dealership to hold it for them? They're running a business. They're not going to hold a car for you. So... I don't feel bad for the guy that lost out on that car. I feel great for you, Mark. It's awesome that you have a modern Mopar to call your own, and now you are officially a Mopar enthusiast. Listen, guys, I want to hear more modern Mopar stories, so if you or anyone you know has a good one, reach out to me. You can email me, chris at talkingmopars.com, or you can leave me a voice message at 209-28-MOPAR. Either way, your story will get shared on the show, and it'll be fun for everybody to enjoy. So, please, if you have a story and you've been doubting whether or not you should tell it, I'm here to tell you right now, tell your story, okay? Share your story with us. So, that does it for listener stories today. Let's shift gears here and talk about the current Mopar marketplace and the types of vehicles that you may find in it. Anyone that knows me knows I'm a fan of vintage car magazines, specifically Hot Rod. And one of my favorite sections in that magazine is Hot Rod Mart. And every time I open up one of those old magazines, that's one of the first things I do. Next to looking at all the old cool car ads, I go right to Hot Rod Mart and I look at the prices of the cars that we all know and love that were crazy amounts of money back in the day. And by crazy amounts of money, I mean they are cheap, you know, by today's standards. So when I'm on Craigslist looking for ads to post on the Mopar Hunter Facebook page, I see everything from cheap, you know, non-titled rot boxes all the way up to expensive rot boxes and then, you know, everything in between and everything up above. I see some really high dollar six-figure Mopars. Some of them are worth the six figures and some others are just reaching for those extra zeros and 
you know, I thought this week would be fun. Instead of just doing a Project Car of the Week, I thought it would be fun to kind of look at the past week and see, you know, pick out a random number of cars. I chose five, and they're priced anywhere from the low teens to the mid to high 50s. And I thought it would be interesting to kind of compare them because there is, you know, there's a big gap from, say, $10,000 to $60,000. You see cars that are under $10,000 that are, they are what they are. Chances of finding yourself a running, driving, safe-to-drive Mopar for under 10000 you know, if you find one, buy it, okay? If you have the money, buy that thing because they're really hard to come by. Now, at least where I'm at, I look at a ton of these ads and, you know, I've come to the conclusion that if you really want a decent Mopar driver car, you're looking at around twenty grand. That is not to say that all of them are around that price. I've seen some decent runners and drivers for around ten. I've seen some rot box chargers, you know, second generation chargers, 68 through 70 for 25,000 complete rot boxes. <laughs> you know what I mean? They need a hundred thousand dollars worth of work and parts. And they're just so far gone that it's like, look, you got to come down on that price. 25,000 for a 318, you know, XP charger isn't worth it, you know, in the long run. That's just, you know, and I'm kind of contradicting myself here because I've said, and argued the point on some of these cars that are more sought after that, hey, you buy a 70 RT Challenger that needs a lot of work for 35 grand, and then maybe in 20 years after you've sunk 50 grand into it or whatever it needs, you know, and you put $80,000 as a total investment, maybe you have a $100,000 car, you know, if you take into account inflation. But I mean, those are just crazy numbers I'm throwing out there, but you definitely have to take inflation into the equation. I do believe that some of these cars are good investments, and although they seem like a high entry point, maybe in the long run, in 20, 25 years, it'll all pay off. I think for those that grew up in the time period of the muscle cars, and for students of the culture like myself, we see these vintage car dealer ads for prices of these cars when they were brand new, and it's crazy. And then you look at some of these cars today, and you see the ones that are investment quality and deserve the prices that they're asking for, but then you see these other cars that you know, have been rotting in backyards and barns and in garages as failed projects. And these people are asking crazy amounts of money for these cars, thinking that they're worth that just because, you know, it's a Dodge Challenger or a Plymouth Barracuda or a Dodge Charger. They attach the name to a value, even though the vehicle itself isn't really worth that much money in the current state of its condition. I think that we all have to look at these cars in a different light. I think we really have to look at them as exactly what they are. You know, if you have a piece of junk rotting in your backyard, it's probably not worth very much money. You have to stop attaching value to the nameplates on these cars. Just because you have a Challenger doesn't mean it's automatically worth a bunch of money. Just because you have a Charger doesn't mean it's automatically worth a bunch of money. You know, because there has to be a value to the car, you know, long term if it's gonna be considered an investment car. I'm all about paying crazy amounts of money for cars that are gonna be worth the investment, but some cars are just not worth the investment, so these sellers need to at least come down in the price. But you know what, I just looked at the clock and I've realized that I better get off of my soapbox here and get into what you guys are here for, and that's the five cars that were chosen. So here are my top five picks from last week's postings on the Mopar Hunter Facebook page. The first car chosen was a 1969 Coronet 500 convertible posted on Friday, May 1st at 12 p.m. 
Now, normally what I do on Project Car of the Week is I'd read you the whole ad, but we've got five of these cars to get through. So I'm kind of just going to go over the bullet points of each car and then kind of explain what I think about it. Okay, so it's a 69 Coronet 500 convertible. The title status is listed as clean. It's got a numbers matching 383 four barrel automatic, allegedly one of 178. Seller says it starts, runs, drives, steers, and stops. And apparently the vehicle order number has some sort of significance. And supposedly, allegedly, this car is a factory press review show car because the first three digits on the vehicle order number are 960. Now, I don't know how factual that is. My preliminary research didn't give me the answers I needed, so that's up to you to do the due diligence if you were to go look at this car. It looks like the seller has serviced the car quite a bit and has driven it around to try to work some of the kinks out. Sounds like it still has some issues that need to be worked out, but all the fluids have been serviced. It looks like he's addressed some of the wiring and the charging system. Looks like he's went through the exhaust and the cooling system. Also, the brakes. He's gone through the brakes and some of the suspension. He's got factory cruise control on it, and the unit is complete. The carb linkage is missing. It's got a factory AM FM radio that works. Front power windows work, and the rear are a bit fickle, he says. It's got a power convertible top that works nicely, but the top is in poor condition. Apparently, he has a new top to go with the car. He's got all the factory air conditioning components, but they are not hooked up. He's verified that it is a numbers matching engine transmission and core support. The body does have a lot of rust. Apparently the front fenders need patch repairs. It needs quarters, needs floors, and it needs trunk pan and extensions, possibly even rear rails, and it definitely needs a fuel tank. He says that he believes the doors, deck lid, and hood are solid. The torque boxes appear solid as well. Also, the torsion bar area and the front frame rails appear solid. It was repainted sometime in the 80s after somebody backed into the passenger side. The door was replaced, and an NOS quarter was installed, resprayed, original R4 red. He's got new carpet, the side glass is complete, and the windshield has a crack. He's put about 20 miles on it since he did some of the he's put about 20 miles on it since he did some of the surfacing on it, just trying to work the kinks out, but it still needs some front-end adjustments. He says to plan on trailering at home if you were to buy the car. He also says you can drive it as is or tear down for a restoration utilizing nearly all of the parts that he's replaced. He's selling the car to get a charger. He's asking for $13,000 or reasonable offer after you come and look at the car. He's also accepting trades for other B-body cars. The car actually does not look bad at all. If you're looking for a convertible and you don't want to spend a bunch of money, this may be the car for you. Yeah, it needs a little rust repair, but my first impression of the car is, hey, that would make a great ratty convertible. And you really don't see too many ratty convertibles on the road. And for $13,000, this would make a great ratty convertible at not too crazy of a price. So I would suggest doing a little research on that 960 vehicle order number to see if that actually is a factory press review show car. I'm gonna go do some more research on that just because now I'm curious. But one of 178, you know, when people throw those numbers out, it's best to do the research or just pretend like those numbers don't mean anything. And as a buyer, you should never make a big deal about those numbers. Overall, I think the Coronet's cool. You know, starts, runs, drives, steers, and stops, and it's a convertible for under 20 grand. Hey, where can you go wrong? It's a B-body too. That's neat. Um, it's a pretty decent car. So I would say that this one is a good buy for somebody looking for what it is. A ratty convertible that runs, drives, steers, and stops. Up next, we have a 1973 Dodge Charger. And I know I said I was just going to give you bullet points on these ads, but some of these ads are really short and concise, 
and this charger is one of them. So let's go ahead and read the ad for this charger instead of just giving you bullet points. This charger was posted April 28th, which was a Tuesday at 3 p.m. 1973 Dodge Charger 14,000 Chappaqua. Odometer listed to have 75,000 miles. 1973 Dodge Charger 318 Mint Condition. Clean title. 14,000 cash. And that's all we have. And my summary for the car is going to be about as short as the ad. It's a clean car. It's white on white. It's got slots on it with uh, the fatties in the back with the deep dish. It's got a little bit of a flare on the back. It's like the aftermarket 80s street machine style flare in front of the rear wheel. It's got a nice little wing, a little graphic down the rear quarter. It's got a front lip spoiler. And the car just looks really solid and clean. They didn't give us much to work off here, but the car is 14000 cash. Now it's a small block car, but hey, this thing is clean. And if the pictures do the car justice and the inside is as clean as what the outside appears to be, this could be a really clean driver quality car. And you don't even have to do anything to the engine. You can just leave the little 318 in it and cruise it around. And I'm not even sure if I mentioned it or not, but the car has a knockoff of what... Uh, the duster had, which was the V24 option, the performance hood paint and the 340 engine call out. I actually think that the car would look a lot cleaner without all that mess, but you know, that's just my opinion. You know, overall, I like what I'm seeing and the price is right. 14,000, get in it and go. That sounds like a deal to me. And this thing is a cool street machine. So I would definitely say that this is worth the money. And if the seller's being straight up and it is in mint condition, then for 14,000, this ain't a bad car. You know, I've seen a lot of rot boxes for 14000 that you need, you know, thousands of dollars to put into them to even get them close to the road. And this thing's ready to go for 14000 I say it's a good deal. So moving on, let's get into the next car, which actually takes us out of the teens and puts us into the high 20s. This next car was posted April 27th, which was Monday at 9.01 p.m. 1970 Challenger TA 346-pack 4-speed $29,000. Selling my 1970 TA Challenger. This is not an original TA, but with original Panther Pink TA selling for over 100000 you won't be afraid to drive this one. This car runs out strong with the correct hood, exhaust, spoilers, and rallies. With the six-pack setup and the Hearst Pistol Grip 4-speed, it is fun to drive. This car is not show quality, but well worth the price of 29000 Firm. This means I will not take $28,999 or anything less. No, I do not care that you are looking at one twice as nice for half the money. If that is the case, then you need to go buy that one because it does not exist. I simply do not have the time to enjoy it, so after having owned it for the last several years, it is time to let it go. I did not put this car together and do not know the history since new. Scammers, waste your time if you want, but I will not take your bogus cashier's check and send you the difference, so don't bother. If you are reading this ad, the car is still available. I will consider trading up and down for who knows what, no motorcycles, boats, or junk. Clean Florida title in my name in hand. Okay, I really like this car, and I've said it before. I will drive with no shame an FM3 Panther Pink Dodge or a Moulin Rouge Plymouth. But this car is really nice. It's got the four-speed pistol grip. It's got the 346 pack. It's basically a TA without the TA fender tag. It's a really nice tribute car, and for 29000 you know, the pictures must do this car a lot of justice, because he's saying it's not show quality, and it looks really clean to me. But if this was mine, I would take out the aftermarket CD player he's got, I'd turn that back to factory, I'd throw in some rally gauges and find a nice rim blow steering wheel, and call it a day. 
This thing looks like a great cruiser under 30,000, which I think is a pretty good deal. I'd like to see it closer to 25, but you know, I'm cheap. 29,000 for a Challenger TA tribute car seems to be a pretty decent deal for me. It's one of those cars where you don't have to worry about it because it's not a 70 or 80,000 or $100,000 car and you can actually get out there and enjoy it and drive it without feeling like, you know, if somebody hits me, I'm completely screwed. You know what I mean? But it looks like a great cruiser car. And for under 30 grand, that's less than a price of a new Challenger, unless you're looking at a base model V6. This is one of those cars where, you know, compare it to the Challenger that we just talked about, which was 14,000. So this car is $15,000 more. Is it worth that? To me, yes. You get a lot of car for 15,000 more. But that's just my opinion. Go check this one out too. It's really cool. I think it's worth 29,000. I'd like to pay 25. Heck, I'd like to pay 15,000, but, you know, We'd settle at 29. I think that's a pretty good buy. You got to be really comfortable in your own skin to drive a pink car and be a man. And hey, I would have no shame in my game rocking this pistol grip in an FM3 Panther Pink Challenger TA, even if it was a tribute car. Moving on to the next car, we have a 1970 Dodge Super B. This thing was posted Friday, May 1st at 9 a.m., this is a cool one, 1970 Dodge Super B, $42,950 in Longmont. Numbers matching 1970 Dodge Super B, C-Stripe in Go Mango orange exterior and black interior. This original 383 Magnum 4-speed motor has been upgraded with a high-performance aluminum intake and carburetor. The original intake carburetor and air cleaner are included with the vehicle. It comes equipped with a pistol grip shifter, tick-tock tack, and air grabber hood. It was painted in 1989, an original color base coat slash clear coat. Runs beautifully. Serious buyers only, please. Odometer is listed at 90,365 miles, and the title status is listed as clean. He lists the VIN number, which tells us that it is indeed a Super B and that it is a 383 car. This car is basically 14,000 more than the Challenger we just talked about, and this one is numbers matching in a high impact color with a pistol grip four speed tick tock tack this thing has it all including the ram charger hood which the seller does list as air grabber but we know that's slightly inaccurate because this is a dodge and dodges had ram chargers and plymouth had the air grabber but we're just being mopar picky folks the car is sitting on some keystone wheels and it just looks good it's got the little wing it's got the Ram Charger hood like we talked about. Four-speed car, TikTok. tock Man, this is a really cool car. I am glad that he's including the original intake carburetor and air cleaner with it um, because it does have some aftermarket parts under the hood. But the car is just, it's a really nice car for 40, basically, well, let's call it 43000 That's less than a new Challenger Scat Pack. And to be honest, I'd rather be driving one of these than a new Challenger, not because I don't like the new Challengers, but because you're far more likely to see one of those at a stoplight than you are a 1970 Dodge Super B and Go Mango, okay? But this car is a good buy, and anyone with that kind of wallet needs to go pick up a car like this because, hey, it's one of those ones that you can get in, drive, have fun. You know, it may not be perfect. This car was painted in 1989. I highly doubt the paint is perfect, but you know what? Go get it cut and buffed and drive the heck out of it, and even enter it in some car shows and have some fun. And maybe change some things as you go, the little stuff, to bring this car even closer to perfection. You know, it may never be perfect, but you can slowly bring it there, you know, get a part here, a part there, things like that. 
to just bring the car's level up a little bit. But 43 grand gets you a 70 Super B that's absolutely beautiful. I don't think you can argue with that. And finally, we have the last car of the five. Now, this one really wasn't a comparison for price or anything like that or condition. This thing was just downright cool. And what is it? A 1972 Hemi Cuda built allegedly by Sox and Martin. This car was posted on Friday, May 1st at 9.30 p.m. 1972 Sox and Martin Hemi Cuda, $56,000, Sumner. This is a Sox and Martin built race car with an all-aluminum Keith Black 30 over 426 Hemi and pass and performance aluminum 4-speed with dual disc clutch. New strange disc brakes all around, all new front end rebuild. The body needs a little rust repair in front of the rear tires. It's always been a race car its whole life and has never been registered for the street. I have a folder with $50,000 worth of receipts for the engine, trans, rear end brakes, etc, etc. Normally runs low 10s in the quarter with a best of 998. Has a huge roller cam, killer stage 5 heads and rocker setup, Pro Systems 1050 Dominators, new clutch, new slicks, new Caltrack bars, adjustable shocks, and monoleaf springs. It's tuned up, runs great, and ready to go. Title status is clean. Okay, folks, I'm going to be honest here. I only included this CUDA because it was really cool. The car's never been registered. That's insane. And it's basically, you can call it a low 10 second car. And it just has that nostalgic vibe. And the car actually is lettered up. And it looks like it was part of the Drag Race team Midnight Productions. You know, I don't know anything about them, but it's a cool car. It looks to be on Krager SSTs, the Super Tricks. And those are some of my favorite wheels of all time next to the Krager SS. If I could find some gold Super Tricks, I would be the happiest guy on earth. If anyone knows where I can find gold Krager SSTs, gold Super Tricks, please email me. <laughs> but this is a really cool car, and I just included it because it was cool. It's a Sox and Martin built Hemi Cuda. You can't go wrong with that. I just thought it would be cool to talk about the car. You can see it on my Facebook page. I already told you where to find it. I hope you enjoyed talking about these cars as much as I did. I mean, that's why you're here, right? Because you like to talk Mopars. That's why you're listening to a podcast called Talking Mopars, because that's what you like. That does it for episode number 26. Thanks for joining me in talking about the top five picks of the week. And I hope you'll tune in next week to talk Mopars again. For more information about the show, please visit TalkingMopars.com. You can also share that link to all your Mopar-addicted friends. And if you have any Mopar stories that you deem worthy for Talking Mopars, email them to me. My email address is Chris at TalkingMopars.com. Or if you want to hear yourself on the show, you can call in and leave a voice message that I will share on the air. And you can do that by dialing 209-28-MOPAR. Until we talk again, my name is Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopars. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopars, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind.